Hi, I'm Michael O'Toole, crime correspondent with The Star, and welcome to another episode of our podcast series, Shattered Lives, focusing on the trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch. Now, just to recap before we get going, Mr Hutch is on trial at the non-jury Special Criminal Court in Dublin's CCJ complex. He is charged with murdering David Byrne at the Regency Airport Hotel in north-central Dublin on the 5th of February 2016. That's a charge he denies. Two men are on trial alongside Mr Hutch. Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy are not charged with the murder of David Byrne. Instead, they are accused of helping a crime gang carry out the murder by providing it with cars. Like Mr Hutch, they deny the charge and all three are now on trial. We're now coming to the end of the trial. The prosecution has finished its case and we understand the defence case will be quite short. Joining me to discuss the latest evidence in the case is the Star's chief reporter, Paul Healy. Hello, Paul. How's it going? Welcome back, Mick. You had a nice little break, I hope. I did. It was it, it was great to refresh myself. January January's a terrible month and it was great just to take two weeks off and try and do as little as possible. But I was following your tweets and your and the pod and it was fantastic. So I'm back in the saddle. So what was the crack today? Yeah, well, it looks like you're back for the final week. Uh, it was fairly non-eventful today, however, but uh, we, we've got the first indications uh, of the, as prosecuting counsel Sean Galan called it, the light at the end of the tunnel, uh, the end of this case. Um, and he said, save a train coming down the tracks, <laughs> it was the way he phrased it. Um, but uh, effectively, tomorrow is going to be the day um, that the prosecution make their closing statement uh, their closing arguments, and um, that's that's going to conclude effectively their case. In terms of witnesses, they don't have any further witnesses, uh, it seems. And 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 in terms of the case against Jerry Hutch, uh, Jason Bonney, and Paul Murphy, now we've heard uh, the extent of the evidence against all three of them. So the way it usually happens, or the way it does happen, is the prosecution finishes its case, and then the defence, if it wants to, it doesn't have to. But if it wants to, the defence can call their own witnesses. Have we any indication if they're going to call anybody tomorrow? Or Well, I, I'm still waiting to hear what the story is in relation to the alleged alibi that Jason Bonney has. So he, and he, this person or persons were to be called as witnesses. So I don't know at what point that's going to happen. Um, it hasn't been flagged really, but I, I suppose that's going to happen in terms of uh, the, the defence. But um, the prosecution will will do their closing statement tomorrow, and then the defence, I suppose, can call whoever they want and and give their final arguments in relation to that. No, well, I think it would have to be that the the defence finishes its case, then the, the or sorry, the prosecution finishes its case, then the defence has its go, and then they're summing up by. So so what it'll have to work is they have to get their sort of nuts and bolts out of the way. And then there'll be the, the closing speech or the closing speech by the prosecution. And then the last word always goes to the defence. So it'll be the defence. And normally in a jury trial, what would happen then is the judge would do a summing up. I mean, I've been in summings up where it's been going on for you know two or three days. But that's a judge speaking to the jury. So obviously this is the special criminal court. So there's a new jury. So once the defence finishes its closing speech it'll be over to Miss Justice Tara Burns and the other two judges to do their and I know people take the mickey out of me but uh, it will be up to the judges to, to do what they got to do <laughs> it will and when it comes to the defence that'll take a bit of time because there are three senior barristers who will have to um, give give their arguments um, so that'll, that will obviously take some time um, I'll just briefly touch on what little was actually heard today uh, things were slightly delayed because there was a another matter before the special criminal court that I won't uh, speak about here but uh, that matter was dealt with throughout much of the morning so we got off to a late start 
Um, and basically, um, what was happening then was a, a form of uh, legal argument. Uh, Bernard Condon, who was representing uh, Paul Murphy, um, has uh, an objection to some of the evidence when it comes to ANPR uh, to kind of explain this to people i mean it was even difficult for me to necessarily get my head around maybe you have a better understanding of it mick if you want uh, i can see you flagging me there go on <laughs> well i i i, I do uh, and uh, some people might know that i, I wrote a, a novel a few months ago and anpr plays heavily and that's so how i had to do enough lot of research oh, okay it, very good go on uh, so. have you not read my book yet i give you a copy uh, it's on the list <laughs> anyway so it's basically it stands for automatic number plate recognition and it can take I think it from memory it can take there, basically there's a, a car a high speed camera usually on a Garda roads placing or traffic core camera and it can park up at one spot and it takes pictures high speed pictures of every car that pa- every vehicle that passes on their number plate so the way it works is very very popular in England it's less so here but it's coming in so what will happen is it reads the number plates. It can read like a thousand a minute, something ridiculous like that. And if there's any flags, so if there's if your tax is out of date or if there's a warrant or if there's even ev- intelligence that the car was used in a robbery or is used for drugs, that all flags up and it comes in real time on a monitor in the Garda member's car. So it's very, very uh, sophisticated and very, 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 very fast. And, it's got, and basically it just records every car that goes past. Yeah, so uh, effectively what was uh, at issue today was that Bernard Condon was arguing that this is a computerised system and that effectively it didn't go through any kind of human process at any point. Uh, He was trying to argue that... um, Listen, what happened in this case was obviously when it came to the Gardaí investigating this, there there were certain number plates that were of interest to them in relation to the vehicle that was allegedly driven by Jason Bonney and the taxi that was allegedly driven by Paul Murphy. So they pulled up these reg plates from the AMPR uh, and were able to use that to corroborate their information about the location of these vehicles on the 5th of February at a specific time uh, in, in Dublin, basically. And his Bernard Condon's argument was that this is an automated uh, sort of computerized system that hasn't been proven in court and that no uh, Garda or no one came before the court at any point to explain this process and how they obtained the information. And as a result of that, basically, he tries uh, he's trying to get the judges to rule it inadmissible. So that's something that uh, Miss Justice Tara Burns, Granny Malone and Sarah Berkeley will rule on tomorrow morning. Um, and once they've made a decision in relation to that, then we'll, we'll press forward with the rest of the trial, but it seems. Did, did Miss Justice Tara Burns give any comments or any indication about that? Yeah, well, she, she did state that uh, that the court had not heard um, the evidence in relation to uh, the prosecution pointed out that there was a specific Garda member that would have pulled these registrations uh, from a system. And Miss Justice Tara Burns did say that the, the court had not heard any evidence of that and didn't didn't know about it. Um I'm not saying that's necessarily indication of what way they're going to rule. The prosecution were effectively saying um, that this, this is, would be normal part of the course in that registrations would be taken by an ANPR system and then the, the guards, if as part of an investigation, would take it. So it's it seems a slight sort of... It's it's a complicated issue, but obviously it, it's something that the judges will have to examine overnight. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah no, and I was just reading your tweets from the case earlier, and I think, did you say that Mr. Galan, Sean Galan, the senior counsel for the state, effectively said, look, this is usually dealt with by way of a certificate or something, so it, you don't need a person to come in? Uh, it was Fiona Murphy, actually, uh, who's also the, the senior uh, 
prosecuting counsel along with Sean Glenn. Yeah, that, that was effectively her argument that can be dealt with by way of certificate. So, look, it'll be up to the judges, we keep saying it, to, uh, to determine uh, the admissibility of that evidence. So that'll be dealt with tomorrow. Um, then just moving on from that, uh, there, a, a, a Garda, Detective Garda Ronan McMorrow was recalled uh, in relation to the interviews, uh, an interview that was done with Jason Bonney. Um, and more details of that interview were read out for the court uh, and confirmed by this witness who was part of this interview. Um, and in this interview, I think what's most interesting to me, it was worth highlighting again, is that Jason Bonney uh, expressed uh, that he was under a lot of pressure and his family had been through hell and back, he said, because after his vehicle or around the time that his BMW X5 was seized by the Gardaí investigating the Regency Hotel murder, uh, he his he was notified officially notified that his life was under threat, and that he'd been issued with a guard information message in relation to that. And he, so he said he was under a lot of pressure, and that the guards had made a quote unquote holy show of him, and that his life had been turned upside down by this threat. He said that he had no argument with anybody, um. Yet now, uh, you know, he has this looming over him, this 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 gym form. Um, and I, I propose we talk a bit more about just what a gym form is, and, and you, you have uh, some knowledge of this, Mika, as to how a gym form works. So a, a gym form stands for a Garda information message. It's basically when Garda contact you to say that they have received intelligence or information that there is a, a what they consider a credible risk to your life. Now, I know that, uh, you know, a lot of people get these. I got one and I'll talk about it. In a minute, I've no problem talking about it. I've spoken about it before, but I might go into more detail. But I, I know, um, you know, on many occasions, suspects, gangsters, you know, I'm talking generally, would give them and they would refuse to accept them. You know, they would sometimes laugh it off. And obviously, you know, it, it clearly affected Mr. Bonnie. And, I, you know, I'll talk about my own case. I got mine. It, 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 look, it was connected with the, the Kin and Hutch feud. I mean, let's be honest, there were... At the, at the mine was in November 2017 and that was still the height of the feud really we know it blew up uh, well it started in 2015 with the murder of Gary Hodge but obviously 26 February 2016 from the Regency on for about I'd say probably about two years it was you know yourself Paul covering it it was full on every day about it so there was there was a number of, of journalists who, who got these gym forms mine I mean I've said this I've never felt under threat from the Kinahan cartel I, I just, I don't think I've ever felt under any danger then. So my gym form came from someone who would have been associated with the Hutch side and I was surprised by that. I mean, you know, but he would very, I suppose he was an individual rather than what you'd call the Hutch organised crime gang because I wouldn't have any fears of, you know, you know this organised crime. I don't, I don't have any fears of either of them. I think, you know, the, the, the Hutch gang, they just wouldn't do that in my opinion. And I don't think the, the Kenan cartel, for me, I've never felt under any fear of them, but I'll read out. I still, I still have it. I'll, I'll read out what it says. So you get a, you get a. It's an official form, and it gives your 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 address and all that sort of stuff. And then it says it's handwritten, and it says, "Can you imagine receiving this information? Has been received from a credible source that a threat has been issued on your life." So I got that, and I got it in November uh, twenty seventeen. It's it's a funny story. I'd been at a. Uh, I'd been at an awards ceremony the day before and uh, I was driving home I stayed over and I was driving home and somebody rang me the next day I said look uh, unfortunately I've been told somebody wants to kill you and they named who the person was it was, a, it was another journalist who had received information that we, he was at the awards ceremony but 
I won an award that day and I think basically he didn't want to tell me and ruin my buzz that day. So in fair play to him, so he, he told me the next day. So uh, there was a big operation, had to go to the guard station, make statements, there were armed guards around the house, all, you know, the whole shebang in the works and had to tell work and they took it very, obviously they took it very, very seriously and the guards and all, as I say, the guards and all were involved. But what I will say, it, it, I was reading your tweets about Mr. Bunny and the gym for a minute, it, it did resonate with me because it's, it's, when you get something like that, it is quite, it is terrifying knowing that the guards have information somebody wants to kill you. I mean, you know, even, you know, you can say it casually, but it does scary. And what I found about it was, even though the guards were great, work was great and the guards were great, they were very professional and work did everything that they could for me. At the end of the day, it came down to me. And, you know, I can remember feeling tremendously lonely. I've had a couple of threats beforehand, but this was, they were sort of pre-gym because I think gym, it's only maybe, I don't know, maybe 2010, but maybe maybe before or after. But I had threats before that. Uh, but this was the first gym that I got. And, you know, I can remember your tremendous loneliness and lying awake at night or three o'clock in the morning, you hear the slightest noise outside or you hear something and you're awake like that. So it is extremely frightening, I have to say. Now, the issue has resolved itself, so I don't consider I'm under threat anymore. But for a good... I'd say for a good six months, it was really, really heavy. And very few people knew about it. I mean, you knew about it, didn't you? Yeah, well, I I, I, I remember that the time that it happened and you telling us about it and, like, you know, I mean, it was obvious that the effect that it had on you and, um, I mean, it's quite scary. I can't imagine it. I, I remember that there was a long period of time where you didn't come to the mm. office and, I mean, that's understandably so. I mean, you worked from home before working from home was a, became a thing... Uh, for most people but you did that for your own safety and out of concern um i you know look as but i also quite scary. i i also felt i also felt that i didn't want to bring heat on you guys in the office you know that if, if i sort of removed myself then maybe the, the office wouldn't be a target or you guys if something happened you know you know what i mean by that yeah and i mean i suppose like i think well would this be fair to say that like i mean i suppose even though rationally you probably felt it's unlikely that this person's going to come after me. It's you still have to take it uh, as seriously as though they are. I mean, obviously, when you get an information message like that, it is serious enough. This is a person who um, had a criminal history and had the capacity in the past to harm and hurt people. So you have to take it with the utmost seriousness, even even if part of your brain is saying it's unlikely. It's it's you have to treat it as though. Tell me if I'm wrong, but that's but that's how you have to treat it. You have to treat it with. With severity. Yeah, the, the most frightening bit of it was the, the person's volatility. So, you know, he had been a, a lone operator, shall we say, you know, when he was an extremely volatile person and that, and plus also, you know, his stomping ground, shall we say, was right beside our, where our office was in central Dublin. Uh, and I know that he was seen near the office shortly afterwards. Did you remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember someone in the office did actually spot him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it made sense for me not to go there, but it was the, it was the, the volatility of the person. Now, look, it's no longer an issue, but it was. Yeah, it, it was. It was heavy enough. Yeah, I mean, so to get a gym form, it's 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 no. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's it's a serious issue. So for for anybody involved, no matter no matter what the context, it is obviously something that turns your life upside down. But as you say, thankfully, the issue is resolved. It's long since resolved. Um, and there's there's no longer any threat there. But um, 
uh, thanks for sharing your story because I think it's an important insight into you know what it's like and I'm sure it's it still has its effects on you to this day even though as you say it's resolved so um think people will appreciate hearing that story from you Mick yeah no it's people need to know I mean the truth is the truth and there's no point look it's so it's five years ago but look yeah it, it, it had a massive effect on me I'll be done. so I, I I that I really I empathize with Mr Bonnie when he was talking about that because you know it is heavy yeah sorry yeah well um in terms of the trial uh that is where we are and um, those were the core things that we heard today um what, what as I've said already at the start, we, it was indicated uh, um, at the end of today uh, that we are going to come to closing speeches. And Miss um, Justice Tara Burns asked uh, prosecuting counsel Sean Glan if he would be in a position to do that. Uh, once we've dealt with some other uh, minor legal issues in the morning and that ruling that I've mentioned, um, he stated they will be in a position to do so. Um, and it, what was interesting to me is it, it the final closing speech is not going to be made by Mr. Glan. It'll be made by um, Fiona Murphy, senior counsel, who who is also uh, prosecuting senior prosecuting counsel along with Sean Galland. So she will be closing the prosecution's case. She will be making that final closing speech. She's got a lot to get in there. Uh, we've been talking about it for weeks and weeks uh, about the size, the scope of this case from the tapes to Dowdall, the CCTV um, and the many witnesses involved. It's a huge, huge case um, that she now has to contextualize into uh, one speech um, to, to put this jigsaw puzzle piece together and to concisely explain uh, what is the state's case against Jerry Hutch. Um, so it'll be a big moment and we expect that that's going to go ahead tomorrow. And there's nothing out of the ordinary about Miss Murphy doing that where Mr. Galan has led the prosecution. I know, again, you know, it, it's very much, look, in cases like this, the prosecutor or the or defence legal team, they decide their strategy. So they decide amongst themselves. So there's nothing, you know, I'm sure there'll be some conspiracy. It's, look, it is what it is. She's an eminent senior counsel. He's an eminent senior counsel. That's just what it is. So that's the way they decided to break it up. Yeah, um, we, we, we turn to a couple of the questions. We're going to try and answer these through the course of, of the of the week yeah. and kind of keep things going. But we'll try to answer one or two questions today. So we're going to answer some of the questions. And thanks for the questions. They're, they're really excellent. And it, I really enjoy answering them. And so does Paul. So Kieran Bradley has come back and he's going to be the, the Bamber Gascoigne. Well, I prefer to think of myself more as a Jeremy Paxman character with that gravitas. But there we go. Uh, so just here's a question from uh, DM on Twitter so I'll keep it anonymous for the moment but I think it's an interesting one when Dowdle was giving his evidence and the session broke for lunch where did Dowdle go for his lunch did he speak to the prison officers or the prosecuting counsel while on his lunch slightly unusual question I know but I presume he was kept separate from Jerry Hutch and the rest of the defendants Mick what do you think well uh, well you were there for it so you can talk about that but look and no, but I, no, but I will speak genuinely about the, the, the. It's in the CCJ complex, and there's a there's a beauty of this. So, say previously, all criminal trials were in the four courts. All serious criminal trials were in the four courts. It was a, I don't know, it's an 18th, 17th century building. And what happened an awful lot of times was witnesses and the accused, and often victims, would be milling around together because it was just like a rotunda and a you know a really old building. But now the CCJ has been built specifically so that witnesses and, and, and the accused, you know, those in bail, they're kept separate. There are separate stairwells, there are separate entrances for people and everything. So it's all very regimented. Now, they're obviously both in custody, but there is there's a series of holding cells in the basement of the CCGA. So 
you know, I, I'd be pretty confident, although we weren't there, I'd be pretty confident that they didn't take Mr. Dowdall out to a local chipper. He would have stayed in the CCJ for lunch. I would have had meals provided to him there and it would have been in one of the holding cells downstairs. But, you know, I think we can satis- be, be, be satisfied that he would be nowhere near Jerry Hutch. So, mate, we've had uh, one that might be best to go to you with. Uh, this is for, uh, via DM on Twitter. Quick question. I've heard Mick say that the USA don't allow anyone in on witness protection or vice versa. I'm not sure that's correct. At least my US relatives who are following the trial have told me that that is incorrect. Maybe double check to be sure. So, Mick? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, obviously, I can't say who I was speaking to, but the person I got that information from would have been, not not presently, but you know, in recent times would have been central to the running of the operation. So I, that person knows more about it than I ever will. And that person told me, no, it doesn't happen. Now, that person is no longer in. It's, it's even you're trying to protect people you talk to. You have to go around all the, the houses. But basically, you know, that person isn't and hasn't been in the post for, you know, not, not a, a while, we'll put it that way. Things may have changed, but while that person was in post and from the start of it back in whenever, 1997, up until that person was in post, there were, there were definitely no American people in America. It may have changed. It may have changed recently, but that would be, I've been, and you know what, to go off on a rant, this shows you how difficult it is for us to get information because nobody's supposed to talk to us and you have to, you know, wheedle out information from people but it, it it came from a very good source who was central to the whole thing but it may have changed in recent years very good well thank you for that um so we have another one here uh which had occurred to me actually so i'd be interested to get your take uh one via dm again from memory jonathan dowdle claimed his father could corroborate his evidence that he met the hutches and handed over the hotel key cards if this is the case why did the prosecution not call mr dowdle senior as a witness by not calling him, does this sh- uh, does this not show that the prosecution were unsure that it would hold up? I don't know if either of you want to come in on that. I'm, I'm not sure that it shows that. It, look, it's not for us to uh, give an opinion necessarily, but obviously it's up to the prosecution to call whoever they would like to call in terms of their case. And for whatever reason, they've decided not to call Patrick Dowdall. We now know that. Um we don't know the reason why they have decided not to call Patrick Dowdall, but uh, their, their evidence is that Jonathan Dowdall says that himself and his father passed the key cards to Jerry Hutch on the Richmond Road uh, on the 4th of February. And then there is call data that they say backs that up. That's the evidence of Sarah Sked, which shows, uh, which corroborates that Jonathan Dowdall was in the Richmond Road area on the 4th of February. So it seems to be, from the state's perspective, that the phone analysis and Jonathan Dowdall's word is all that they need to prove that particular case. Uh, we heard Jonathan Dowdall say, understand that, why haven't you called my father? No one's answered that question. Um, perhaps maybe there, that might be something the defence might deal with um, but I still don't anticipate he's going to be called as a witness He ha- there's no indication from the prosecution as I said they've now apparently wrapped their case we don't know the reason why they've decided uh, not to call Patrick Dowdall is the answer ultimately but they, they are going off the phone analysis and Jonathan Dowdall's evidence uh, to prove uh, the allegation that the key cards were handed over on, on the 4th of February um, that's it that's that's the best answer I can give on that I don't know whether Mick has a, a better answer than that I've been involved in court cases I mean uh, and I remember you know taking part in a conference and there was a list of possible witnesses and the 
our, our defence team, it was a defamation case, and our defence team decided not to call somebody. And I, I wasn't even told why. I They called me because I, I wrote the story. So I, I spent a, a day on the witness stand. Nasty, I'll tell you, it's not easy. Nope. But um, they just they just decide, you know, senior councils decide and that's it. And who knows? So we had another one here uh, from Jim Bob on Twitter. Uh, is the burden of proof the same for the special criminal court that the three judges, brackets or a majority of them, must conclude guilt beyond a reasonable doubt? Yeah, so I actually have clarified that today because I had that very question. Yes, they do have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. That burden of proof is exactly the same. It is beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, however, I think they can make a majority verdict. It does not have to be a... Um, it, it doesn't have to be all three of them that are in agreement, just the majority, so two out of three. Uh, but yes, the burden of proof is the same. They have to say beyond a reasonable doubt. Mick wants to add to that. Well, no, I mean, there is a balance of probabilities, but that's in uh, civil cases. So yes. a jury can decide on the balance of probabilities, but this is someone's life, so it yes. has to be reasonable doubt. The only difference is, look, three judges and uh, no jury. So, But it is, it's the same criminal rules effectively can i can i just ask one that we had bandied around last week uh at least in the group i wasn't sure if we got a fully uh conclusive uh idea of this but i was just thinking in relation to when the uh cases the case rests one way or another and then the judges go off uh to adjudicate do they do that individually uh themselves do they then convene together as a three like how does that tend to go does anyone know yes I asked, uh, they, they, what's the word? They deliberate together. Okay. But the, the, so just to explain the mechanics, Miss Justice Tara Burns is a high court judge. In this, so she is presiding over the criminal court. Then the two other judges are respectively circuit court and district court. So it's the, it's the three, three arms of court or whatever you call it. But the, I mean, I've, I've been at uh, lots of special criminal court cases and there is always it's a reserved judgment because they go away and, they, and as you say they deliberate it but then it's read out by the presiding judge so Miss Justice Tara Burns will will read it out um, I, know, I know somebody did ask will, will, the, will, will the, the judgment be published it, it, it will it, it, it's, and essentially it will be published because it will be read out in court so young Haley and all the other hacks who've been going will be using their, 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 their keyboard skills to type everything up so that's and it will be read out and we've said this before it won't just be Guilty or not guilty, it will be explained in detail and the reasoning of the judges and what they say and everything. So it could take could take a couple of hours to read out. And even just, you know, just, just go back to what Paul was saying earlier about the closing speeches by the defence. As you say, Paul, there, there are three senior counsels who are going to be making speeches for the defence. So, you know, that's going to be, I'd be surprised if that was not at least two days. So, but anyway, just back to this. So the Miss Justice Tara Burns will read out the judgment, but it's the judgment. She's a presiding judge, but it's the, and you know, I've, I've, I mean, look, you know, she probably has the final say because she's the presiding judge, but it's the three judges together. And we we may also get a date at the end of all of this. They may set a date, although perhaps uh, they might not reach a decision by that date. But I, I think my understanding is of this is that they will give a date in which they will come back and, and have their judgment ready. Um, so... That'll be interesting to see. Is it going to be three months' time or longer? As I said, there's this huge case, so it'll be a, a comprehensive decision by the judges. And just to, I mean, just back again, I went and looked at the Freddie Thompson trial, which was also very complex because if you remember, it was all, you know, CCTV evidence and tracking and all that sort of stuff. So very, very complex. And that was two months. 
So it, with the trial finished in January, in June 2018, I think, and he, he was convicted in August. So, you know, that may be a, an example or an indication. Excellent. Well, lads, that seems uh, about enough of the pair of you for today. Um, <laughs> Mick, it's absolutely lovely to have you back. And Glad to be back. Thank you for sharing your experiences uh, earlier. That's very moving. Um, lads, enjoy yourselves. Take care. And we'll, uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks.